Dan and Amen and and good morning. I was reminded by the Lord yesterday, the words of Nehemiah chapter 8, where the people are reminded that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we sing songs like that, it reminds me that it truly is the joy of the Lord that is our strength um, in these days. I'm welcome this morning to worship, whether you're here in person, wearing a, a lovely mask like me, or if you're at home, we are glad that you are here. I want to just encourage us with a few verses of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, starting in verse 33. Listen to what Paul writes. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of our Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And we gather together in that name to honor the one that all things come from, all things are through, and to him all things belong, and in him all things hold together, as Colossians reminds us. As we gather to worship this morning, I think it's important that we take opportunity to pray, prepare our hearts, ask God to, to guide us, to lead us as we worship this morning in both spirit and in truth. So will you join me? As we pray together, Father, we are we're just thankful that we can gather together. We're thankful that while we have to wear a mask, that we get to worship. That while we have to, to limit the things that we do for the protection of ourselves and others, that we have freedom in Christ to worship you. We thank you that while we're in a time of social distancing, that you are not distanced from us. In fact, we are reminded by your word that you are Emmanuel, God with us, and that you are present with us in this place, in our homes, wherever we go. And your love is something that no one can ever escape, no one can understand, but we are so grateful for. God, your love is boundless, your love is great, and we rejoice in that. So this morning, as we sing songs, help us to sing from glad, joyful hearts to the King of all creation. Help us to listen with our ears and with our hearts to the words that you speak to us. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning because, God, we need to hear from you. Father, as we come upon what seems to be another critical moment, a series of critical moments, not only in our state but in our country, we pray for continued patience. We pray for continued wisdom. We pray for the personal safety and protection of those around us. And we pray that in the midst of these days, that you would continue to give us opportunities to serve, to show love, and to share the good news about Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would help us to see what you are desiring to teach us in this. That we would learn from you the lesson. And Lord, we ask that you would turn our hearts toward you. That you would bring revival to our hearts, revival to our church, revival to our community, and revival to our land. As the psalmist wrote, Oh Lord, would you not revive us again? And we ask this morning, Lord, would you not revive us again, your people, that we may praise you and tell of your wonderful works. Oh God, we thank you for the gift of music. And we thank you for those that are gifted to lead. And as we sing together, help us to sing with glad, joyful hearts. And to always remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray in your wonderful name. Amen and amen. Let's continue to sing together this morning. That is nothing reach. There's no place that we can't find you. There's no
It's always a privilege to worship the Lord together. So thank you, Anna and Landon, Jackie, Mitchell, for uh, for leading us this morning. It is truly helps us to focus our hearts and our minds. If you have a, a Bible, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter one. We'll be reading a few verses there and then over in chapter two, just a couple of verses together. Um, wasn't that long ago that we were in the book of Colossians, but we're revisiting it today. And today I want us to look at the cross and more specifically the victory of the cross. The last several days, the Lord has had the word victory on my mind almost every day. And to be just honest and transparent, it's it's been a hard, hard week. It's been filled with with challenges of various different types, um, struggles, difficulties, but in the midst of that, I can tell you this morning that God is good. And by the, the freshness of His Spirit, as His Spirit blows over us like a cool breeze, um, this morning I want to share with you what the Lord has shared with me, and that's a message of a victory. In fact, not just any victory, but it's the greatest victory Recently, um, Deborah and Samar and I listened to all three of the Lord of the Rings books. The whole trilogy, while we've been driving and traveling about, it took several several weeks. And so after the, the audio books, Samar and Deborah couldn't quite get enough. And so they moved on to the, the DVD um, series that has all of the, the ins and outs of what it means, how they made the movies. What was Tolkien thinking? And I was just reminded during that, what a wonderful story it is, first of all, and then what a masterful storyteller um, Tolkien was. And they were sharing with me last week about a, a word that actually Tolkien coined. He put two words together and he took you, which is the Greek prefix for good, and he stuck it on another word, catastrophe. So in English, it would be like a good catastrophe. And he defined it as a sudden turn in a story which brings you a joy that leads to tears. And you see it all through his books. It's those times when everything seems lost, seems like there's no hope, and then all of a sudden, hope arrives. And things change for the good. And you can see it in, in the book, in The Return of the King, when 
when Sam and Frodo were in Mount Doom and they're trying to destroy the ring and they destroy the ring and they're laying there and they think, you know, the end is near. They're laying on the rock surrounded by lava. And then all of a sudden you see off in the distance the silhouette of eagles. You hear their screech and they rescue him. You see it in the movie Star Wars when when Luke uses the force and destroys the Death Star. And you see it in Snow White when the movie story doesn't end when she eats the poison apple when the prince comes. But Tolkien said all of those things, all of those fairy tales point to the greatest and most conceivable eucatastrophe, which is the gospel, which brings us to the point where we see when Jesus looked to be defeated, when he was dead and buried, he had died on the cross, he was buried in a tomb that it didn't end there, that he rose up from the dead and out of a terrible situation when everything seemed lost, God brought about victory. And it wasn't just a victory, it was the greatest victory. And this morning, your hope may be in an end. You may think all hope is lost, but I want you to understand that in the midst of your hopelessness, in the midst of your difficulties, God wants to bring victory. He wants to bring peace, life, and freedom to you right now. And so I want us to be encouraged today from God's Word. I want us to celebrate His victory at the cross. And I want to see how we can apply that to our lives. In the book of Colossians, starting in chapter 1, let's read together, starting here in verse 15, describing this marvelous Savior Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Amen. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then in everything He may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above Reproach before him. If you can be, if you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then if you just look over to chapter two, look at verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame. By triumphing over them in Him. God, this morning we are studying Your Word. And that is a great privilege. And there is great truth here. And we ask You would help us to see the great truth of Your Word. Apply it to our lives by Your Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The cross of Christ brings peace, life, freedom, and victory. And we worship here today because Christ is victorious. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has conquered the devil. He has conquered hell. And if that weren't true, there would be absolutely no reason for us to be here right now. Why? Because our worship is a celebration of what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes it's jubilant and expressive. You almost want to shout and dance. 
Sometimes it's more reflective as we look at the debt of sin that we had, the price that Jesus paid, and we reflect. But it's always filled with the joy of the Lord. When we look and we think about the fact that in willing obedience, Jesus laid down His life. Paul paints the picture of it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That death on the cross brought us peace, life, freedom, and victory. And so we worship because God gave Him the name that is above every name. That there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. And God has made Him both Lord and Christ. And when we keep the victory of Jesus at the front of our minds, it leads us to praise. It deepens our trust. It strengthens our faith. You see, when we begin to see Christ's victory is not only for us, it is in us. It's transformational. It changes the way we live. So let's see what this victory brings. The first thing it brings is peace. Chapter 1, verse 20 tells us it's peace by the blood of His cross. He reconciled all things, whether on heaven or earth, making peace by the blood of His cross. That reconciliation, a broken relationship, was mended through the cross. We don't like to think of ourselves in this way, but apart from Christ, we're aliens, enemies, and evildoers. Sounds a lot like the bad guy in the story, doesn't it? Verse 21 tells us we were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We were separated from God because of our sinfulness. We were hostile. We were God's enemies. Romans 5.10 tells us that. We were God's enemies and we practiced evil deeds. And in fact, apart from Christ, we enjoy doing those things. But God has taken what was distanced and reconciled, brought them together. Peace between God and man is possible. The relationship is restored. Things are made right. Enemies are made into friends. How? By His death. That Jesus Christ died a real death in a human body to reconcile us to God. And Romans tells us, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified with faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And only when you find that peace with God will you find peace in your heart and peace with other people. It's that peace that Philippians tells us passes all understanding that's able to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you today, the peace of Christ can settle the restless sea of your troubled heart. But the victory involves more than that. It involves life. Not just life, but life that came out of death. Verse 13 points us to that. We know from what Scripture teaches and what we believe that only Jesus was raised from the dead, caused the dead to rise, and can bring to life the spiritually dead. Listen to what verse 13 says in chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us our trespasses. He wants the Colossians, who were now followers of Jesus, to remember who they were. They were dead. True, apart from Christ, everyone is spiritually dead. Dead men, dead women walking spiritually with no hope of improving, improving our own condition. Stuck in the old sinful way of life, no way out. You might say it this way, we're in deep trouble with no way out. We'd be left in our sin. We would be assured of the certainty of death and eternal separation unless someone, something intervened. You catastrophe. When all things seem lost, when hope seems far away, what happens? God steps in. Jesus on the cross his death brings us life. In Jesus, we're made alive. 
That's a miracle. That spiritually dead people can become alive in Christ. Their past can be changed. The calendar can be turned. The past is put away and the debt of sin is paid in full. Anyone here this morning excited in the Lord to know that their sin debt is paid in full? And that the Bible tells us that if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So if you're in Christ today, you have reason to celebrate because you are a new creation. New life, a new reason to live, a new hope. We should remind ourselves of this often. That in Christ, you are not the same. God's made you a brand new man or a brand new woman. He has set you And that's the next thing that this victory brings us is freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from the law. Look at chapter two, the last part of verse 13, it says, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And then verse 14 continues by canceling the record of debt that stands to it against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paid. In full. I think that's the sweetest three words anyone who ever has a debt can hear. Whether it's a $100 medical bill or a $100,000 mortgage, there is a victorious moment when you can say something is paid off. When I was a bank teller, I used to help the, the note department sometimes and we would process paid notes. And every now and then we would get to pull out this red stamp that said just that paid in full And it was just fun to stick that in the red ink and then go, bam, paid in full. That was fun to do. But imagine how excited that person was when they got that in the mail. They got their bank note in the mail where their car was paid off. No more payments. How much better would it be to find out that somebody paid that debt off on your behalf? Wow, that'd be amazing. Not likely, but amazing. And then to live debt free. But transfer that thought, paid in full, to this thought, to be free in Christ. How impactful is that? To think that stamped on the heart, on your heart, by the blood of Jesus, is the fact that you are free in Christ. Everything that alienates you from God is gone. Your sin debt is canceled. What we could never make good on, what we could never satisfy, Jesus paid in full with His body, by His blood, on the cross. And the language here tells us it is blotted out, wiped away. Jesus stood in your place, paid the debt for your sin, and in Him we can have a zero balance. No longer Bound up by sin, no longer under the law where sin was our master. You see, that law could never justify us. It only pointed us to the fact that we couldn't do it ourselves. It could never help us to overcome our sin. It could only show our sinfulness. See, the law gives us the truth and principles of what God expects, but it could never save us. But hopefully it would point us toward Jesus. And when Jesus came, he didn't come to abolish the law. What did it say? He came to fulfill the law and he perfectly fulfilled it in every way. And so when Jesus died on the cross. The message Bible says it this way. He took that entire rule dominated way of life down with him and left it in the tomb. He took your Sin. He took the law and left it in the tomb. It's interesting to note that when someone was crucified, a Roman soldier would many times post a sign above the cross declaring the crime that was committed. It was meant to bring humiliation, to bring shame, and also to be a deterrent to other criminals. So you can imagine that a murderer, and above the top, you know, it had murderer, and here's the person being crucified. That's one way some people looking at this about nailing it to the cross, that Jesus took our death sentence. It was nailed to the cross, but it can also be the evidence of a canceled 
debt posted on a door for all to see. That the creditor has no more claim on the debtor. It is paid in full. And when Jesus served notice on the cross, when he declared, it is finished, your debt was paid in full, and you are free in Christ by faith in him. And we can joyfully read Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's a freedom cry for the Christian. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I hear those words, when I allow them to sink into my ears and my heart, it makes my heart leap for joy. Because I'm no longer condemned. I've been set free in Christ. But also, it's a victory cry. I grew up in a church where every Sunday we sang hymn number 475 before we left. Victory in Jesus. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him. And all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. All of these things that I mentioned. Freedom, life, peace. Point to the fact that there is victory in Jesus. The greatest victory ever won. Doesn't matter if you're a sports fan, a military historian. Came on the cross. We still celebrate it today. We still enjoy the benefits. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. He, Paul writing about Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. A great victory was won. Spiritual forces were defeated. They were stripped of their weapons. All the spiritual forces that were in rebellion against God were stripped of their weapons, defeated and humiliated and left powerless and unable to stand against Jesus, the victorious Savior. He put them to open shame. He exposed them for what they were, made a public spectacle of them and brought them to disgrace. It's the picture, this triumph of a victorious general or a king leading a victory parade to celebrate a victory. The king of the general leading the way, his followers behind him and leading, bringing up the rear of those enemies. Brought in procession to bring shame. See, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan was sure he had won. Those religious leaders, they were certain they were done with this man called Jesus, this troubler, this man who was causing rebellion. But in reality, the cross was not a defeat. It was a glorious victory. Because at the cross, Jesus made peace. Because he brought life from death. He canceled the debt of sin. He abolished the law and he gave us victory. And that gives us great reason to praise God and thank him today. Second Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God who in Christ, listen to this, always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That if you are in Christ today, you are a living, breathing, walking victory celebration of what God can do to transform a life. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, victory doesn't come through constant effort, but through constantly receiving what God offers in Christ and freely gives to us.
And that kind of victory can be yours today. You can overcome in the one who overcame. But the key is not in your own effort, your continued striving. No, it's in your faith. You see, anyone who trusts in Christ, His death and His resurrection, shares in His victory. Over sin, over death, over hell, over your flesh, over the forces of evil at work in this world. That's why John writes in 1 John, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Notice it doesn't say our efforts, our goodness, our works. No, what does it say? Our faith. Our faith. Trusting, clinging, hoping in the one who is victorious. Verse 5 gives us the answer. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes, places their faith, that Jesus is the Son of God. There's victory in Jesus. The one who said, be courageous, take heart. I have conquered. I have overcome the world. The cross can be your place of victory today. Charles Trumbull in a little book called Victory in Christ said that when the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit works in our life to give us victory, It is a miracle every time. If it's not a miracle, it's not a victory. I don't know about you, but I need a victory today. Victory comes at the cross. That first place of victory is the war that goes on for your soul. And so I ask questions often because we need to know, do you belong to Christ? Because that's where the victory starts. If someone never places their trust in Christ, if they never give their heart over to Christ, they will never experience victory. So does Jesus have your heart today? Simple, trusting faith, turning away from your sin and your striving to do things, repentance and turning to God. And let me just say, Jesus is ready for you. Are you ready for him? The second place is even for believers, there are daily battles with the world, our flesh and the devil. They're enemies that all believers face. Sweet little grannies, young children, preachers, Sunday school teachers, new believers, long-time believers. We all struggle. No one is exempt. Because there are constant enticements from the world. We struggle with the own, within ourselves of those desires of our old sin nature that wants to do what's contrary to what God wants us to do. And then there's those attacks from the enemy. The enemy that is present and real, that's out there like a roaring lion seeking to steal and kill and destroy, who wants to bring discouragement, to cause distraction, to bring disillusionment, to debilitate us, to just keep us from doing what God wants us to do to demoralize us, to make us think we're not worthy or God really didn't do that for us, to do anything He can in His power to distance us from Jesus. Because the more that Satan can do in your life to distance you from Jesus in the place of prayer and the reading of His Word and the fellowship of His saints, the more He isolates you from the things that are your protection and the more He exercises control. And the more we struggle in our faith. But all believers, this is the truth, this is the good news, even though we struggle with the things, all believers have victory in 
Christ. Sometimes that's immediate and dramatic. That God, in a moment when we ask, chooses to deliver us from those things and we never, ever struggle with them again. More often, it's a lot like the leaky faucet in your kitchen. It's slow, steady, it's daily. We struggle. It's imperfect. We have great success some days and we struggle greatly the next. But we continue to keep trusting in the one who overcomes. If you don't have this marked in your Bible, if you don't have it written on a post-it note on your mirror, I encourage you to do this, to memorize it, to learn it, apply it. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never win the victory on your own. But when you place your trust in the one who is victorious, you can enjoy victory. Now the third place is that there, there are battles that go along, but there are also skirmishes that happen in our own mind. Those times when you doubt God's goodness, you doubt His love for you, you just feel like you're unworthy, you feel like you're unloved, feel like you've just done something so bad that God could never, ever, ever forgive you. You become convinced that things are just always going to be the same. That's just the way God made me. I'm just going to have to live with it. That's just who I am. You get in a position where you feel like you can't receive God's forgiveness and you choose to just wallow in your own shame. And we could go on and list many other things. Those things happen. Those things are very real. It's important in those times to be honest with God. Confess it to God. Say, God, I don't feel like you love me very much right now. Or God, I'm really struggling to believe that you can forgive me. And then renounce the lies. A Bible is so important because it reminds us of who we are. It guides us. It brings us back to the truth. And when you are whispering, when you hear the whispering voice of the enemy speaking lies to you about who you are and who you're not, you need the truth of this book to remind you of who you are. You need the prayers of others to bring you encouragement. Renounce the lies, replace it with the truth. Because in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You are free, you are alive, and you are victorious. Amen? And it starts at the cross. Are we ready to meet Jesus there? We're going to pray in just a second, and after we... We pray, and before we sing, I want to give you some specific ways that we can act on this right now, that we can respond to the greatest victory of all time. Will you join me as we pray? Father, these words are are so much more powerful than I believe that we could even do justice through human words, but we trust that your word is faithful and that you're working by your spirit. And so we ask you right now to help us in these moments to focus on you, to focus on what you want to do in us this morning, the way you want to bring transformation, the way you want to bring change, healing, victory in our lives. So we ask you and we encourage, ask you to encourage and strengthen our hearts. Be reminded that the joy of the Lord is our strength as we look at these things. We trust you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So how can we respond to the victory in Christ? The first thing we need to realize is every one of us has something, or if you're like me, some things that we would like to see victory in. And this morning, let's take it to the cross. Now, I know it's important that we maintain social distancing, but some may want to come to the altar Some may want to kneel where they are. Some may just sit quietly and reflect. But I want in your mind right now to just picture those things. Just ask God, search me. Where is is that area or those areas that you would like to see victory?
And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to have faith in the victory of Jesus. You see, victory is not coming one day. Victory is here. Victory is secure in Christ. And that victory is perfect and it's complete. And it's for all that place their trust in Him. So right now, as we sit together or you sit at home, I want you to confess your truth, your trust, your belief in Jesus. Tell Him you believe, you trust in Him. Tell Him you, you know He is the one who is victorious. That He is the one who brings about our victory. Will you do that? Just tell Him this morning in your heart. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. And the next step is we're going to humbly confess that area to God that we need victory over. We think, we, we first we say, God, we know you can bring victory. And then we're going to say, God, this is where I need your victory. So just voice that to Him in your heart. Confess your your own self-effort and trying to fix yourself. Confess your frustration that you feel, that the shame that you've borne, the, the guilt. And as you confess, receive in His forgiveness. Receive in the promise of His victory. Say this, say, Jesus, I receive Your victory in my life. Declare you alone are victorious, Lord Jesus, and in you I am more than a conqueror. And then trust God to bring victory. I want you to praise Him right now for the victory. Whether it comes in an instant or whether it comes in days, whether it comes in months or comes in years, praise Him now for the victory. Thank you for the peace that He'll provide, the freedom that He gives, the victory that is earned at the cross, and the life that He breathes into us. And then I want you to say this in your heart. Jesus, I commit to walk in the promise of victory. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. Jesus, I commit to walk in the promise of victory. Be careful. Don't trust in your feelings. Your feelings will defeat you. Just because you don't feel victorious doesn't mean that God is not in the process of working victory. Choose to trust in Christ. And remember that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You may want to write this down. You may want to remember it. You may even want to say it right now. Jesus, you are my victory. Jesus, you are my victory. Jesus, you are my victory. We're going to sing a song together. As we sing a verse or two, it'll give you opportunity to work through these things that the Lord is speaking to our hearts. And so, just invite you where you are. If you choose to stand, you can stand and sing with us. If you choose to remain seated, However best the Lord is working, we just trust you to listen and to respond to him. But will you join us as we sing and we listen to the Lord this morning? Yeah. Uh-huh.
us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I know you can't really tell, but I am smiling right now at you. I'm not going to tell you that I'm not sticking my tongue out at you because you won't know that unless I manage to pierce through my mask, but it is great to be in the house of the Lord. And and I know circumstances are different. I know it's it's a challenge, but just to be together is, is a great thing. And I just pray that the Lord would work His work in your heart this week by His Spirit. That you would become increasingly more and more aware of the victorious life that Jesus wants you to live. You are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning, whether you're here or whether you're online. Um, let me just say a brief prayer and then, um, are y'all going to sing anything or no? We can. You can? Okay. I'm going to say a brief prayer and then they're going to play some music and then at that point you're dismissed. So let us pray. Father, we are thankful for the day that you have made and we say we rejoice and we are glad in it. We thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We thank you that we are more than conquerors and we thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. Most of all, we thank you that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die for us. That his victory on the cross brought us victory. That your resurrection brought us the hope of a resurrection one day. And that that resurrection power is alive in those that are called by your name, by the presence of your Holy Spirit. And so we say now, Holy Spirit, work in our lives. Mold us, shape us, and form us into, God, into what God intends for us to be. Remind us of who we are. Strengthen us for the days ahead. Encourage us. Challenge us. Convict us. Because, God, we trust that you are working in us to form us daily to be more and more like Jesus. We thank you for Jesus, our victorious Savior, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, and we pray in his wonderful name. Amen and amen. God bless you. This is amazing grace. This is amazing.